message that I like to preach. I've given it uh, several places over the last several years, and so I decided to go ahead and give this one to you guys. And so we're going to be this morning in Nehemiah chapter 4 is where we're going to be. Before we get into it, I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give you a little running start too into Nehemiah. Praise God. And Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. God, you are good and faithful. And some of those songs that I was singing on my, wasn't real familiar, Lord, but man, those words about God and what you've done, and and God, you are good and faithful. I know that you've been faithful in this body of believers as well. And so, Lord, I pray as we uh, talk about you, talk about your word, that we're honorable today to the text, and uh, Lord, may we just bring you lots of uh, glory today. We love and praise your name, in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, Nehemiah chapter 4, let me give you a running start into it. You may not know anything about Nehemiah, or maybe you teach the class, I don't know. And so Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king, and that's a good job and a bad job. Good good part is, best wine, best food, bad part, it might be poison, so not always that good. So Nehemiah also had access to the king, and uh, he was there one time, and he overheard a conversation, and he heard that Jerusalem was in shambles. The wall was broken, it was in disarray, and it absolutely broke Nehemiah's heart. You see, that was Nehemiah's homeland, even though he'd never been there. He was born into captivity. He was broken about it. He would go and he would uh, begin to spend some time with the Lord about it, and some time would pass, and then he would go before the king, and things were different this day. As he would go before the king, the king would look at him and say, why does your face look like that? Because Nehemiah had been putting on a face that he was okay. He wasn't trying to fake it till you make it. Sometimes you got to persevere and just push through, and that's what he was doing. But at this point, the burden was too heavy. It was too great, and so he allowed it to show. And so the king would see that Nehemiah was sad, which, by the way, was punishable at the death to do that, to go before the king that way. He would ask what was going on, and Nehemiah would say, man, why wouldn't I be sad? My homeland is in disarray. The walls are broken down. It's, it's horrible. And the king would respond and say something as if, hey, well, what do you want to do about this? And Nehemiah would seek the Lord first. He would say a prayer to God. I, I call this like an arrow prayer. And the reason why I say it like that, because I don't think Nehemiah said, hey, uh, king, uh, just a second, got to pray. I don't think he did that. I think he'd been praying all the way up until that point, but then he launched an arrow prayer. I'll tell you what that is real quick. Sometimes on Sunday mornings at our church, uh, I'll be in the foyer, and maybe there's a couple hundred people around. They're walking out, and somebody will kind of reach out their hand and go, hey, Matt, pray for me this week. I'm having surgery. And they just walk out the door. I don't want to forget to do that. So it just in my spirit, I always say, Lord, be with them, show them goodness and favor. God, do that, Lord, please, in the name of Jesus. That's an arrow prayer. I'm not saying that's how our prayer life ought to be, but that happens sometimes. In the moment, the king says, hey, what do you need? And Nehemiah gives it an arrow prayer to God, and he comes out and he says, hey, I want you to send me. Then I want you to provide safe travel for me, and I ain't got no money, so will you finance this deal? And God's favor was all over it, so the king says yes. So Nehemiah is with this entourage, and they're going uh, to Jerusalem. They finally get there, and he sees that the walls are broken down, and it's in shambles. And If he was like me, what would have happened is I just would have started picking up bricks and stacking them. That's my personality. I'm not saying that's the right thing to do in this situation. I know it wasn't the right thing. Nehemiah would get there, and he would assess the whole situation. And he would 
would make a plan. He would have that plan, and then he would go to the people, and he would rally them together, and he goes, you guys got a problem. That's not what he says, is it? You see, Nehemiah is a great leader, not a good leader. And a great leader takes responsibility. He says, look, we got a problem. But, man, we can do this together. From that point, they'll rally, and they'll begin to rebuild the gates and make some progress on the wall. And here in chapter 4, the wall is halfway built. And so with that said, let's pick up here. In verse 1, it says, Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall. He became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, and I'll tell you what he said in a second. Sambalat and his associates have been in opposition to Nehemiah this whole time. You know, when you're doing something for the Lord, there's usually going to be some type of opposition. And Nehemiah er, is facing it right here with Sambalat. But you ever been around somebody and you're like, man, why are you so mad? Like, like, bro, you mad? But why? Why are you so mad? And so here is one of those situations. I remember when I was studying this a couple of years ago, I'm like, why is Sam Ballot so mad about this? And I learned that what was going on is Sam Ballot was the governor of Samaria. And so he had been, because this was unoccupied and really unlivable there, he had been levying taxes there. And you want to make somebody mad and mess with them a little bit. Mess with their pocketbook. It'll do it. What are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble? Burned as they are. Now Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What they are building, even a fox climbing up on it, would break down their wall of stones. You know, one of the greatest tools of the enemy is called discouragement. I want to tell you a story. When I started following Christ, I was 32 years old. If you're wondering how old I am now, I'm 48. So 16 years ago. Up until that point when I was 32, I, I, I quit playing golf at that point. I used to play a lot of golf, but there was a time when I started playing golf. And I was really, really bad, real bad. I mean, like you wouldn't want me in your foursome at all. And so I would go out and I'd play golf with my dad and with my friends. And I was so bad that, man, they would, they would like laugh at me. I mean, they loved me, but they would laugh at me. And I, you know where I went to play, just pops on my head, is I used to go play at the old air base at TSPI. It was like $3 play all day. It was a bad course, bad game, it matched, right? It was good. And so uh, I had a real bad golf game, and I was tired of it because if you know me at all, I'm super competitive. And it's hard to be competitive if you don't have any game, Right? And so one summer, I maybe was 13 years old or so, I don't know, I asked my dad, I said, Dad, will you get me a golf net for the backyard? And so he did. He, 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 got, he got it for me, and, which I'm going to say I don't really recommend because for me, I had trouble even squaring the club on the back of the ball. I mean, it was always coming in open. It was shanking off this way or going that way. It was bad. And if you put that in your backyard, guess what? You're going to hit a few houses, right? And so don't recommend it, but we did it. But what it gave me was the opportunity to work on my game. And I would do anything it, it would take to make it happen. And so here's what I figured out that I had to do. I was talking to somebody at the church the other day about this. And they're like, man, that's horrible that you had to do that. But I'm telling you, I had to do it. I was so bad, and I could not close the, the, the club face. And so I took the club, and I turned it upside down. I'm not lying. And then I would grip it. And then I would turn my arms like this so I could get it uh, squared to the back. And I learned to hit the ball that way. 
and I got where I could go out and just make contact and, and hit the ball pretty good. Never like a pro golfer or anything, but I could shoot in the 70s. That's a, a, a an extreme from where I was. I mean, I was at 120 on a good day, right, to where I could actually do it. Now, I'm telling you that story for a reason. Discouragement can do one of two things to you. What it did to me was motivate me. And so I worked hard to get where I could play a game. For some people, discouragement will cause uh, whatever they're doing to, for them to quit and their progress to be stifled. Now, if that's what would have happened right here, I'll tell you what stifling would have looked like. They would have gone back to stepping over bricks. You know what I'm talking about? That wall that they're about to work on, that they're working on right here, it had been laying there for almost 150 years. Where people would go and they look at it and they think it's overwhelming and discouraged. And so they just keep stepping over them. One day they began to work on it. You know how long it took them to rebuild that? 52 days. It's amazing what can happen when you just focus for a little bit of time. And not be discouraged and overwhelmed. Continue to verse 4. In verse 4 it says, hear us our God. This is Nehemiah talking to the Lord. He says, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Now, Nehemiah is not talking to his enemy. He's not. He's talking to the Lord and asking the Lord to work on his behalf. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time that, that we have to, to fight a battle. I'm not saying that. But, man, it ought to start right here. It ought to start with seeking the Lord on it first and allow God to do the work. Many times that's how this should work out. Now, I'll tell you a little story. We started the Loft Church. It would be eight years ago next month. Eight years ago. And I remember when, you, when we did that, uh, you know, there was nine of us uh, that started the church, me and my wife and seven others in my living room. And when you do something, whether... It's good or bad, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be some people that don't like it. Well, about a, I don't know, a few months into the process, and we've already launched the church. We're, we're meeting now. We're at Ascension Academy at the time, and my mom was still alive back then, and uh, she got a message on Facebook from somebody. Somebody was just on there, and she uh, messaged my mom and said, I want you to know what people are saying about Matt. And they weren't saying some things very nice about me. Now, my mom, being a parent and uh, like a champion for me, she w was, was bothered by it. She told my dad about it. He was bothered by it. They called me. They said, man, I want you to come over. We want to talk to you. And they began to tell me what people were saying about me around town. And my dad said, man, you need to go, and you need to set this straight, is what he told me. You know, my dad is a very wise man. And throughout my 48 years, I have listened to his advice over and over again. And I still will. He's a very wise guy to listen to. But that day I didn't do that. And what I told him was, I said, I said Dad, you know, uh, I preach all the time about how the Lord will go before us and how he will fight some battles for us. I think I'm going to apply that to my life right here. And you know what's happened in that is I allowed the, the Lord to work in that in the course of eight years. It, it, shorter than that, I was able to have some really good conversations with those people that were hurt and broken and mad at me. And the Lord did an amazing work through my people. Let's continue. Verse 6. So we rebuilt the wall. They didn't quit. 
to all it, and I'm going to go back. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height. For the people worked with all their hearts. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when Nehemiah was, was uh, doing this right here, it wasn't like he just like, well, you know, I'm going to get the wall builders from the next town to come over, and they, they, they have a little school there that teach everybody to build walls. It wasn't like that. He didn't have a bunch of skilled labor. It was just people that were uh, buying into a vision to get something done, and they were working together. They weren't a bunch of masonaries or, or any of these things, and so they weren't maybe all that skilled. Now, they had something else. They had heart, and I love that. You know, my degree is in business, and I've managed stuff uh, most of my life in some form of management. And what I figured over the course of time is I would rather have somebody has heart than somebody has talent. I take it all, all day long, every day. It's amazing what happens when you apply passion and heart to something versus somebody just has potential and talent. I promise you, if you don't know that yet, you one day will. It's the way it works. And so uh, another thing I want you to see before I move to verse 7 is this. They're halfway done. You know what halfway is good at? A uh, good point to do? Stop. <laughs> you ever started something about halfway into it? You're like, man, this is too hard. <laughs> you can start in college. You're about halfway through. And you're, man, that's too much. Halfway point is the, the spot where you, where you know how much it's going to take. And you know the commitment. And you know the sacrifice. You know, sometimes we get into things where we're just oblivious and it sounds great. But you're halfway. You know what it's going to take to get it done. It's a great place to stop or it's a great place to push off and continue on what the Lord has started. Let's go to verse 7. It says, but when Sembaot, Tobiah, and the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs of Jerusalem's wall had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Let me tell you a little story. A couple of years ago, I think it was just maybe just after my mom had just passed, and we were over at my dad's house. We were spending a ton of time at my dad's house, watching movies with him, hanging out, eating a lot of food. But we were we were watching a movie with him, and we're just sitting there. I think it was really cold outside. We're just hanging out. Bentley is sitting, my youngest son Bentley, is sitting in my mom's old chair, which she hardly ever sat in. It's an amazing chair. It was a really nice chair, and it had this fancy little remote. And you could do all kinds of stuff with it, and Bentley had pushed the button and leaned it back and done some other things probably with it. And then we're sitting there watching the movie, and he kept going, click, 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 click. And Elisa said, hey, Bentley, stop that. Uh, you're, you're driving me crazy. <laughs> yeah. And, and so he stopped, right, for a few minutes. A few minutes later, we're still watching the movie, and I hear, click, 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 click. I go, hey, Bentley, stop it. I'm going to lose my mind, right? You know how to frustrate somebody? Keep doing what frustrates them. That's how it works. Nehemiah has had this opposition. He's very frustrating to Sam Bout and his crew. And to keep frustrating, he just keeps on doing it. He's not going to stop. He refuses to, to, to stop the progress that they're, that they're making. And so what they're trying to do right here, though, in verse 8 it told us, is they're going to try to uh, stir up some trouble inside of Nehemiah's camp. And I want you to know there's some trouble that's coming. Let me tell you in verse 9. It says, but 
we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. The threat that was going on and the opposition that was out there. I love Nehemiah. Nehemiah is one of my favorite books. I love to look at his life and the leadership characteristics he had. I love it when he faced opposition that he didn't stop. Nehemiah had an amazing can't stop, won't stop attitude. Y'all know what can't stop, won't stop is? Well, maybe you've heard about that before, but maybe not like this. I'll tell you what, I, what it is. Can't stop as if you're running down a hill. You ever, you ever like had a little slope and you, and you start going like this and you go, you know what I'm talking about? And your legs just they automatically go. If you try to stop, you're probably going to tumble over. So guess what? You can't stop, right? I like that. That's awesome, right? But there's a point where you come down to the end of that slope and it levels back out. And maybe for a couple of steps, you can't, still can't stop. But at some point, if you're going to keep going, it isn't because you can't stop. It's because you choose to. You won't stop. I say this all the time at our church or wherever I go when I have an opportunity to say this. This is how life goes. Sometimes we start something and, man, it seems like the momentum's straight. It can't be stopped. But at some point, the grind happens. The fun is gone. It's hard. And so if you're going to move forward, it's not because you just can't, uh, can't keep from doing it. It's because you choose and you have a will and a desire to push through. And that's what I see in Nehemiah. It is over and over. He can't stop, won't stop now doing what the Lord has called him to do. Verse 10. Meanwhile, on the prairie, no, it doesn't say that. It says, meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Remember, they were stirring up something. Now they're believing it. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Verse 12, it says, Then the Jews who lived near them came and told them ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will come attack us. Huh. You know, sometimes when you're doing things in life, you're going to have some opposition. Sometimes that opposition is going to be from the outside. Sometimes it's going to be from the inside. And that's what they're trying to do right here. Let me tell you a little story. I was talking to somebody before service. A couple of you guys have a history with the church I'm about to mention. A number of years ago, not a whole long time ago, but a number of years ago, there was a church here in Amarillo that was one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. And some of you guys are going, yep, I went there. We have one of the guys that used to be an elder there that comes to our church. And the first time I ever sat down with him to have lunch, I said, hey, um, what happened? I'm not asking details. Just what happened? And he said, man, it was sin in the temple. You notice what he said? He didn't say, no, there's opposition outside. People didn't want it to happen. No, he said, sin in the camp. Some of the greatest nations of all time, how, do, how are they defeated? Not from the outside, from the inside. You know, when I was thinking about your church specifically, man, you guys have a lot ahead of you. You're in a specific season. And it sounds to me like you guys are, are doing a good job of, of being unified in this place. As you're finding a pastor, you're looking at this new a season of life. You could have gone a different direction. And you could have allowed it to divide you. And you could have allowed this place to implode, not from the outside, but from the inside. But you're not doing that. I'm proud of you. 
all the things I've heard have been just rave reviews of how you guys have responded to the adversity. And But you know, eventually there's going to be blessing in that. There will be. Now the, the next group of scripture here um, is verse 13 and, and 14. I'll tell you a little, little story. I, I, y'all may do this too. I think y'all do. At the end of sermons, I, when I'm preaching, I always have somebody come play the keys. I know y'all have somebody play the keys today. Um, and I call it the crescendo. My wife always says, that's a cool sound. But I call it the crescendo. And uh, I always kind of just hammer home one point, right? Every week. Right? I do that every week. And so um, I'm, I'm in Nehemiah a couple years ago. And one of our guys, his name's Ed McConnell. Y'all may know him. He's got the baseball bat. He makes punches. Right? Let me go to bat for you. I'm giving you some, some advertising. But uh, he, he grabs me and goes, hey, Matt, you got the crescendo of all crescendos this week. I'm like, yeah, I know. He goes, you got the brave heart of crescendos this week. Like, I'm like, I know, Ed. I know I got it. I know I got it. What I'm about to read you is super powerful. And it comes in the minute. They're going to play some music somehow, some way. Technology. I'm going to go back, and I want you to remember this scripture. Let me read it. Verse 13, it says, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families. You know why they post them by families? Because families stick together and families fight for one another. With their swords and spears and bows, after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord. Who is great and awesome. And fight for your families. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives. They should have left out the S, but they didn't. In your homes. I love this though. You know, there are times in life when we're going through something and the hardship and the grind of life. We have to remember what we are fighting for. At the time I was preaching this at my church. Uh, it was during COVID, the song, The Blessing, had come out. And I'm sure y'all sing that around here sometimes. I love that song uh, for a couple of reasons. One, it's biblical. And a lot of songs aren't biblical anymore. You might know that. But that one is. I like that. The other thing I, I, I like about it is there's a, a portion of the song that, that says, for your children and their children and their children. And when it first came out and when I would sing those words, I'd just start crying. Because it would remind me what we're fighting for. It should remind us what we're fighting for. This generation, next generation, the next generation. There's a lot at stake, church. There's a lot at stake. One more little, little note, and then I'm going to continue with this. When Nehemiah came to Jerusalem, he came there to build. He didn't come to fight. But sometimes if you're going to build, you've got to fight. And so he's going through whatever he's going through. Let's go to verse 15. But our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. We all returned to the wall, each to our own place. From that day on, half the men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall, those who carried materials, did the work with, with one hand and 
held a weapon on the other. And each of the builders wore a sword at his side as he worked. The man who sounded the trumpet stay with me. When I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. Man, if there was going to be two crescendos, we would do that together. God will join us, and he will fight for us. Verse 21, it says, so we continue the work with half the men holding spears. From the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. I bet they were scared. Each of each had his weapon even when he went for water. Now uh, I'm going to take you a little different way. It's a great text. It's super encouraging so let's just think about a few things about this text. And if you believe that God has hopes and dreams for your life to, to use you somehow, and he wants to use you in your family, maybe in your workplace, in this community, what I'm about to tell you is going to apply to you. You know, we're looking at a time in our nation where there's been some amazing things happening. Asbury happened maybe is happening there's other little pockets of what people call revival is breaking out i'll tell you one of the things that concerned me though is there was people from my church too that would go like hey man we're doing everything we can to go i'm like man you don't need to go to asbury to have revival i mean you don't have to do that at all you don't have a revival you can draw a circle get inside of it say revival starts with me an awakening in my life and what the ripple effects, when there's a, an awakening with somebody, it makes a difference. It'll make a difference in this church. It'll make a difference in your home. It'll make a difference in your workplace. I promise you it will. And so if that's your mindset, you really want to be used for the kingdom of God. You really want to fight through and push through something. And I want you to hear what I'm about to say about that church. You see, there's a powerful tool that sometimes I don't know that we maximize remembering we remember not to waller not to be poor me not to be a victim but we remember to, to remind ourselves how faithful God's been how faithful he's been in our life and that remembering and remembering how God's been faithful propels us to go forward to do the things he's called us to do but sometimes we don't do it that good in fact uh Y'all remember a story in the Gospels where Jesus fed 5,000 with like a cane's milk? Y'all remember that? He's like just tossing it out. The disciples got to be a part of that too. They weren't just watching. They got to participate. They had the extra uh, um, leftovers to take home for everybody, right? Good stuff. I'll never forget that, right? But they did. You know, there's another time after that that they're going, man, I don't know if we're going to get the food. And Jesus is like, don't you remember? 
Don't you remember the two and the five and how you have the baskets you're trying to drag home? Don't you remember who supplies? Don't you remember God's goodness? Don't you remember? I got one more story. So if you guys want to stand, then I'm going to pray and I'm going to get off here. About 10 or 12 years ago, I was, I was preaching at my previous church. And when I was preaching there, I do it just like here or at my church. I walk all the time. I do that as almost like a coping mechanism. And right here does not like me. And so I, as a coping mechanism, I don't like to uh, talk in front of people. And so it, it, it distracts me. And so 10 or 12 years ago, I'm preaching. And there's, there's people kind of at the angles over here in that church over here and there's people over there too and when I'm walking I can see this one lady and I've recognized her I don't even really know her name I know her husband is but I don't know him that well but I keep going I keep going this way and I notice that lady's really kind of squirming in her seat I didn't know what's going on maybe she's hot I don't know the music starts playing crescendo's about to happen I walk back over to the side of the stage I'm looking at her no longer she's squirming in her seat now she's crying Tears just flowing down her face. I didn't have a clue what was going on. I remember that I finished the service, and afterwards I went in the foyer, and her husband came up to me and said, Hey, Matt, I want you to know my wife's back there in that room, and she's surrendering her life to Jesus. I'm like, man, that's awesome, man. And I didn't know. I didn't know she wasn't a ball. I didn't know. I'm like, man, it's amazing. It's amazing. When that church, uh, kind of like what we do in our church, too, we, we allow people be baptized by the one who made the biggest impact in their life and so two weeks after that we had baptisms I remember that he was able to baptize his wife and we handed him a microphone though and that's kind of scary sometimes <laughs> you never know what they're going to say <laughs> but what he said would impact me he said I've been praying for this for 10 years can you imagine that praying for your spouse for 10 years that they would surrender to you. How faithful you would have to be for 10 years and diligence this man, God, another day. I'm going to continue to seek you and I'm going to go after it, Lord. I'll just, man, God, intercede on behalf of my wife. Church, we're not patient, man. Something that just takes a little bit of time, we don't want to do it. Let's try this out real quick. When you leave here and you go through all the traffic and all the stuff you do and all that stuff, you're going to go to like a four-way stop over here. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Or go to a red light. And, and when it's your turn to go today, I want you to get there and I want you to wait five seconds before you do. I want you to go one, two, three, four, honk, right? Because we're not patient. Not for five seconds we can't be patient. Can you imagine 10 years? Ten years of seeking the Lord on the behalf. I remember when he said that, and I was thinking like how, how amazing that is, and how diligent it is, how faithful that is. I'm thinking, man, how did he how did he do it? I think I know how he did it. I think every day when he got up and he was seeking the Lord, he remembered what he was fighting for. He was fighting for his wife. He was fighting for his family. He was fighting for his household. And so I just want to leave you with this. I don't know what God's calling you to be. I don't know if he's calling you to personal revival. I don't know if he's calling you to go on a mission trip. I don't know if he's telling you to be faithful 
in one way or another, I don't know. But whatever it is, remember the Lord who is awesome and great. And fight for your sons and daughters, your families, your community, your church, your neighbor, your co-worker. Fight, 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 fight. Because it matters. It matters. It matters. Father, I thank you for your love and your grace. Lord, I pray for those in here today. maybe trigger that help them remember how faithful you've been to keep fueling that fire to continue to, to pray and to be diligent and be your hands and feet and Father I pray that we don't let the enemy stifle us with discouragement and when it comes and it will that we remember how faithful you how much you've brought us through, the blessings that are all around us. God, I pray if there's people in this church that, man, really need to fight for their marriage, fight for their home, fight for their kids, fight for whatever it is, God, and they need some help, Lord, I pray that they will come and get some help from some of the leaders in this place. And remember that this is your plan A, the local church. And there's people right here that have been planted here to help hold their arms up in their seat. Whatever it is. God, I pray that these just aren't words, but we learn from them. We remember that you are awesome and great. Regardless of what our circumstances are. We love you. people up front to pray with you if you want prayer. Overcome, you've 
Come awaken you. 
Come awaken the city. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Every stronghold will crumble. Hear the chains hit the ground. Oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. Father, we ask that this morning. We pray that you would pour your spirit out in this room this morning, that we would be willing recipients of the Holy Spirit today, that you would pour your spirit out in a mighty way. Father, what would we do if your spirit was so thick in this place this morning that we'd spend hours just worshiping you? We've been down long enough. We worship you today. You've been down long enough. No more walking in shame. Because the way that he loves you isn't something you can change. You've been running in circles, but you can't hide from grace. Because the way that he loves you, amen, isn't something you can change. Just like Lazarus out of that grave, our God rewrites history. Jesus, you change everything when you pour your spirit out. And just like Silas singing with Paul, praise can break down prison walls. Jesus, you can have it all. Won't you pour your spirit out? Pour your spirit out. Pour your spirit out. You can rest in his presence. You can trust in his name. Because his burden is easy. And he's perfect in his ways. You can run to the Father. There's no reason to wait. Because his arms have been open. That's not something you can change. Just like Lazarus out of that grave. Our God rewrites history. Jesus, you change everything. When you pour your spirit out. Just like Silas, singing with all praise can break down prison walls. Jesus, you can have it all. Won't you pour your spirit out? Just like Lazarus, out of that grave, our God rewrites history. Jesus, you change everything when you pour your spirit out. Just like Silas. Singing with Paul, praise can break down prison walls. Jesus, you can't have it all. Won't you pour your spirit out? Sing that out, church. Pour your spirit out. 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 Father, help us to get out of the way 
So when you pour your spirit out, you can do amazing and mighty things. Help us to put down our selfish desires. Help us to just ask, to seek, to knock, to find out what your will for us, for us is for our church, our community. Bless us as we sing these words. And all we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door, sing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, seek, knock, watch the door swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. All we have to do is just ask, see, knock, watch the doors swing wide open. Roll back that stone. Roll back that stone. Just believe that it can happen. There's a miracle right behind that stone. Roll back that stone. Blessings on he and his family and his church, Lord, and I just thank you for your many blessings to us. For it's your son's name I pray. Amen. <laughs> 